Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you doing? All right. Nice day out there. Nice day out there. Sure looks like it. Looking forward to getting out there in a bit. Not much smoke in the sky. Yeah, no, the sky is blue. Sky is blue. Feels like summer. Although, stampede's over, winter's here. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be getting well, it soon. Winter's coming, we know this. Yeah. Speaking of movies, Bruce, did you just see that they, they, the, the, I'm not sure who it was, but some Alberta government has some kind of tourism board, and they just put out a three-minute movie on shooting all these movies in Alberta. Did you see that today? Oh. It's on the internet today. I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. It's um, what's it called? Let me see if I can find the, the title of it because it's a, it's a, you know, it's just a series of dramatic scenes of the Alberta landscape, which will be pleasing. It's called uh, Alberta. Tell your story. Uh, come tell your story in Alberta. Anyway, for anyone who loves this province, uh, it's uh, uh, full of uh, great Alberta scenes. So. Sometimes we get some heat, Bruce, for being a little cold here, but uh, the physical beauty of Alberta is is breathtaking, and filmmakers are starting to realize that, you know, um, from around the world. And all these famous movies that were shot here, there's clips of them. So, mm-hmm. alrighty, today, Bruce, we're gonna you're, we're, we started our Cult of Hockey Prospects series, mm-hmm. and um, we're going to talk a little bit about the players ranked twentieth. Uh, uh, to 16th, five right. players uh, in that category. In no particular order are Olivier Rodrigue, Phil Kemp, Philip Berryland, Kiro Maximov, and Maxim Bereshkin. So we'll we'll talk about them. We're going to be writing about them in the in the days to come. Right. And before we get into that, though, we'll talk a, a little bit about the order, some Oilers news. There's been two signings: Brendan Perlini. And uh, coming in from outside the organization, Stuart Skinner signed a new two-year deal inside the organization. Bruce, there's also, and, and maybe we could start with this, a surprising amount of praise coming for Ken Holland, at least maybe a little bit unexpected sources, the praise. when after Right after the trading deadline, um, most of the reviews were pretty negative of Holland's work including on Oilers Twitter, there was a lot of negativity. And that's continued right up to the Darnell Nurse signing. But as things are settling down and people are thinking more about it and looking at the whole piece of work, at least for this coming season, the next few seasons, I think a more nuanced take is coming out. And and including for me, I think I was a little bit negative about, um, you know, I had sticker shock on some of those deals that uh, came about initially but you know it's it and it's interesting like you know if you grew up in the dynasty era of sports you kind of have i i think i kind of have this view of you're you're trying to build this you know every possible move it has to be kind of perfect almost because you're trying to build this lasting dynasty and that's even in some ways more the case now but in a strange way it isn't because having a lasting dynasty in sports with with salary caps in those, these leagues and the way the players can move about and the powers the players have, it's really difficult now. And it's almost like you're building towards a quick peak, kind of a Bobby Orr career. <laughs> Not, you know, get as many in wins in, Stanley Cups in before the knees go, is the new NHL model. And that's the model in Edmonton right now, strikes me. It's kind of damn the torpedoes, at least those ones are going to arrive three or four or five years from now, mm-hmm. try to win right now. And I'm not sure actually that it isn't the right idea though, with the way contracts are structured in the NHL. And there's 32, There's not, this isn't a six-team NHL anymore, or even a 21-team NHL anymore, where you had players locked up until they were 31. This is a team, this is an NHL where Players can hit the road when they're 26, 27, and good players do that. 
and where there's a salary cap, so you can only keep so many good players for so many years. Look at Tampa Bay, what Tampa Bay's have gone through this summer, losing some good players. So with all that in mind, and the other thing in mind being, you know, the loss of Adam Larson, which left the order scrambling on defense and having to fill in all of a sudden. Uh, with those two things in mind, I don't think Ken Holland's moves are, are shambletrons or crazy town. And the interesting thing, Bruce, is they're actually starting to get some love from people that you wouldn't expect, like um, analytics guys who look at shot shot metrics. Their, their, their models are telling them that the Oilers actually did pretty well this summer. And uh, from Greg Wyshynski of ESPN, who isn't, a, isn't so much a numbers guy, but is a well-known Oilers critic and has a lot of fun with Oilers fans, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I generally see him as trying to, having having fun with it rather than being out and out nasty uh, with Oilers fans, although people might di- disagree with that. So anyway, I, wasn't they, the, I wasn't a fan of Greg's um, take of the women's soccer in the Olympics. Oh, yeah. I thought that was a little bit over the top, him talking about how Sweden choked to Canada. And I'm going, oh, okay, now, Greg, maybe you should remind us how Sweden stomped USA 3 nothing in the preliminary round. Oh, you forgot all about that game, and whereas Canada held them to a 1-1 draw and one in the shootout. But it was all just about basically putting down anything Canada did. And that gets old real fast. Yeah, yeah, he's an American chauvinist. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm a Canadian chauvinist, so what can I say, though? I'm an Alberta mm-hmm. chauvinist. So I got that going on, too, that aspect of mm-hmm. personality. I, 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 I'm I a huge Team Canada booster. Uh, hey, um, that, that win by Team Canada, you know, and the, the clutch goal scoring in the shootout by Fleming and Grasso was just amazing. So he can say whatever he wants. It does not. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't uh, affect my great pleasure in that. Here's what he said about the Oilers, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, he gave them a B plus um, for their off-season work. And most of the really the praise comes around the acquisitions of Hyman, Warren Fogel, and Derek Ryan. And he says the Oilers offseason had some moves that are going to make this team potentially better in the short term. And other, other moves that were, for lack of a better description, very Oilers. And he, he actually really liked the Barry signing and he, he saw the Cody Ceci signing as a decent fix for Adam Larson leaving, which is interesting to me because he's, he's in the Eastern seaboard and he would have seen a lot of more of Cody Ceci than I saw. I saw none right. of Cody Ceci. He would have seen a lot more than I saw. So I actually put some weight in that because, you know, some, he had eyes on the player and, um, you know, it's part of the generally positive reviews we're getting out of Pittsburgh, uh, from Cody Ceci's season. We'll see if that translates. I mean, again, my fear is this is another Mark Fain kind of deal. Mark Fain, Nikita Nikitin, Andrew Ference kind of signing. Um, but fingers crossed it's better than that. Uh, and, he all, he, and he writes, um, here's his conclusion. The orders were flirting with an A- minus here if they didn't run back Mike Smith and Miko Koskin as their average at best goaltending duel and had... And hand Darnell Nurse a 9.25 million AAV on an eight-year term with a significant trade protection, which was a very won't-be-my-problem contract from GM Ken Holland. Speaking of that, trading Caleb Jones for what's left of Keith so the Blackhawks can acquire Seth Jones, hand him a contract that resets the market and jacks up Nurse's price tag, very orders. And I know you're going to agree with that. What do you think of what what Greg had to say overall? Yeah, I do agree with that, and uh, the, you know that uh, that whole exchange with Chicago, uh, you know, it came back and it boomeranged back and it bit the Oilers the second time when Chicago decided to reset the uh, defense market with the huge dollar deal that they gave to uh, Seth Jones. And I actually have some issues with that contract, you know. Uh, that Chicago signed with Seth Jones that they they made that deal on the day of the draft June the 20 or July the 23rd uh, the afternoon of the first round of the draft and they made the deal the deal as a trade and sign contract and they announced an eight-year signing of uh, Seth Jones on the 23rd and they reset the market on, on the 23rd with that one move and you know what uh, as 
as I understand it, they weren't even allowed to negotiate with uh, Seth Jones until one year before his previous mm-hmm. contract expired, as in, you know, and and the 2021 uh, 2020-21 season was still in effect until free agent day on July 28th. So normally that's when you open the window to, to renegotiate with free agents. So by the time the Oilers could even were even allowed to talk with Darnell Nurse, the Jones contract had already been on the books for several days. They just jumped the gun and nobody said anything. So I'm saying something. I think it was uh, mixed Bruce, up. That's got to be the most common thing on earth, though. Like, don't all these NHL teams? And I know some people. I've read some. They announced about it. The NBA they announced it. And I heard days someone... before it was legal to announce it. They announced it. And they that did reset the market. Apparently um, so. They're Chicago Colorado. Blackhawks, so probably. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not hung up on that, honestly. I just, um, I think NHL teams are, are doing stuff behind the scenes constantly, and mm-hmm. it's I, it's not on my list of things to get worried about. It's like it's fairly low on the list. So, well, it did affect the subsequent negotiations with Nurse. So I'm going to just point a finger at it and say, I'm sure that's all above board NHL. You just did did it different from the way you did it every other year. And I know this year deadlines are kind of a little muddled because of the way the, uh, uh, you know, the dates have fallen. But it's always been, you know, June 30th, July 1st. Once you get to July 1st, you open the window for, for, for negotiating with guys one year out. And this year, July 1st was effectively July 28th. So, but not for, not for Seth Jones. So Sports Logique, who also does analytics, and their analytics is not just shot metrics analytics. I think they dig into individual actions of players a bit more than, uh, and their results, for instance, aren't public. Like, we don't know what they say about every player and all they say about every player, I don't believe. You, you get little dribs and drabs out of them. And they also gave Ken Holland a B plus, um, mainly on the forwards again. And so did Dom Lashishan, who's more of a shot metrics mm-hmm. school of analytics. And, and listen, some of these sh- sh- the, the shot metrics analytics people were just absolutely withering, over the top withering about the nurse contract, honestly. Some of the things that were made were just preposterous. Some of the statements, you know, of how bad this contract was. So I think one of them said this is like the worst contract ever. It was like, whatever, you know, kind of a ridiculous statement. But Dom Lashishan uh, of The Athletic, who's pretty considered and, and a sane evaluator, of of this stuff he, he he has a thing that rates the teams he has you know a formula that he puts all the numbers into and it comes up with the oilers as the sixth best team in the nhl right now bruce oh okay second he second best he had them rated second best for off-season moves right okay. and then when he did power ranking sixth best team in the nhl and again he focuses on the forwards and what he says about the they oh there's a lot of kind of damning with faint praise from people who generally criticize the Oilers about this summer, even though, you know, they end up giving them a good review overall. Like, And here's what Dom says. There are a number of people out there who didn't like what the Oilers did this summer, myself included. So, you know, this is there's a lot of hesitancy about praising what Holland did. But he does, here's what he says, quote, there's a lot of risk that comes with signing a 29-year-old power forward to a seven-year deal, but Zach Hyman is still a great player who should fit in perfectly with the Oilers. Add Warren Fogle to the mix, an elite four-checker who resembles early career Hyman well, and the mm-hmm. team has a strong third-line left-wing addition. Derek Ryan is a massive upgrade over Jujar Kara as well. Those three pieces together should give the Oilers one of the best forward groups in the league. Just don't mind the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. That was an interesting comment about Fogel. You know, again, that yep. trade hugely controversial in Edmonton. Most Edmonton fans are completely unfamiliar with Warren Fogel's game. Um, so I would, although we know Ethan Bear's game really well, I, I've been really encouraged by all the verbal, you know, around Warren Fogel and the kind of mm-hmm. player he is. And again, I can't say. I haven't seen him. I don't know. Right. But if he, th- that's what he does look like, you know, from what people are saying is kind of a younger version of Zach Hyman. And they got him on a three, you know, a re- if he is that, that's a reasonable three-year deal, Bruce. Well, let's hope so. I mean, the idea is, I mean, they could have they got him for cheaper for one year and bridged him, but they went for, you know, into his UFA years and they and they got, you know, three times 2.875, wasn't it? 
and uh, they got uh, um, um, looks like a solid player, and they're paying you know a solid price for him, uh, and. That's, I think they need some of that in their depth. I mean, before they only had in the range between uh, between James Neal's old contract of 5.75 and I think bet- between that and 1.5 for forwards, they had Cassian and Turris. And that was about the extent of it uh for you know for forwards in sort of the middle range which you kind of think would be your middle six kind of players which which uh in theory those guys should have been third liners in practice they didn't get it done uh fogel uh, i have higher hopes for him that he's going to uh deliver the goods and frankly uh, i have some hopes that cassian's going to bounce back and deliver a lot more than he brought last season but uh they they've 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 got to upgrade that uh that middle sixth part of the lineup or the bottom six you know depending on how you want to you want to organize your lines uh edmonton's third and fourth lines last year didn't get it done and the third line wasn't good enough and a guy like warren fogel is going to improve that situation hopefully Derek ryan as well yeah i don't really even ryan i don't i mean i saw him play this past year but any and i he's i just sort of have this vision of this fast smaller player i mean i still order my opic when i watch the games i mean breaking down the order scoring chances it goes along right. so i really do just focus on the orders and but you know he looked fast at least and that's that's good so we'll see maybe he'll be the first fourth line oilers center in a generation bruce that i will completely endorse which would be a shocking thing indeed uh, I was just checking Ethan Barrett's situation mm-hmm. heading into Carolina. That's very interesting defense they put together. They have Jacob Slavin, Brady Shea, and Jake Gardner on the left side. Ian Cole shifting back and forth. And Brett Pesci, Ethan Barrett, and Anthony D'Angelo on the right side. It's a very, it's a smaller, highly puck-moving um, mm-hmm. defense. And that's going to be an interesting group of players to watch it seems kind of a little bit of a experiment there I and mean, like kind of like what colorado's gone to to some extent on defense but um that's a quite a group of puck movers they have there so ethan bear should definitely fits into that group bruce um oh the one person who's been uh, complimentary of the orders throughout the summer signing progress is jackie spiegel mm-hmm. of the sporting news and she um she has them at sixth overall in her power rankings as well. So, but, you know, it's it's interesting for the amount of, <laughs> for the amount of uh, as my grade nine phys ed teacher, Joe Bunch, who is from Texas, for the amount of whining and crying and belly aching that's been going on about the orders on Twitter, um, as Joe Bunch would say, um, it's they're, they're starting. They're, it's interesting kind of the turnaround. What do you make of it? What do you think of that dynamic? Well, they're certainly making major changes and uh, and expensive changes. Uh, uh, they moved out a couple potentially value contracts and and uh, Bear and, and Jones uh, that you know uh, were young potentially emerging players. Keyword potentially. I mean, we don't know where they're going next, but uh, uh, other than elsewhere in the league. Um, and he went all in on, you know, more proven guys uh, from 38-year-old Duncan Keith and 39-year-old Mike Smith to, you know, 34-year-old Derek Ryan. Uh, they sure are are investing heavily in veterans. And uh, I do like, I think Hyman and Fogel are going to really change the look on the, on the front end and... Uh, Four checkers and puck retrievers, uh, uh, something to be said for that. And Edmonton's been more of a rush team or a cycle team, but uh, getting in and and you know get, get winning pucks on the, on the four check and creating chances off of that, uh, bring it on, you know. So uh, that's uh, they they definitely definitely upgraded the forward ranks. That's uh, one thing we can look forward to. Uh, Big improvement. My concerns are on the back end and between the pipes. So. Yeah, best group of boiler forwards since the 90s, since 1990, I think, and um, which was a hell of a forward group. But this mm-hmm. is this rivals it. Might be better. 
And, um, you know, the, to me, the, the, the contract, did he overcorrect on defense? Like, I, I love the idea of Barry and Bouchard moving that puck. And, mm-hmm. But did, did, he, did they really need to bring in Cody Ceci on that kind of contract? That's a, it's a big it's a big contract over four years and if he lives up to it great that's a that's a good move then but did they really shouldn't they have used shouldn't they have used that money on a goalie or on it that's it shouldn't they have used that money on, did they overcorrect on was it you know we talked about this at length the, the terrible loss of Larson and what a blow that was and, mm-hmm. and I don't think anyone is happy with what happened there you know, Ken Holland probably top of the list, but it, it, these things do happen. And I just, I'm not, and I can't say for sure about CC because I haven't seen him play. Right. So I don't know, but I just, my spider senses are tingling that that's the move that's going to haunt, uh, uh, you know, the, of the moves that are going to haunt the orders going forward. That's the one that's going to hit home first if it does hit home, but maybe I'm wrong. And, you know, I could easily be wrong because I haven't seen him play. Maybe he's going to be a really solid, decent uh, pairing, second pairing D-man who can play tough competition and hold his own. Yeah, well, they gave the Larson money to CC basically, so I yeah. don't see that as coming out of the goaltending budget. They just went to Plan B or C for for uh, second pairing D-man, and uh, the hope in many quarters is that Evan Bouchard will rocket up the ranks and and earn more ice time and, and more uh, responsibility in a, in a quick hurry. And now that he's in his draft plus four season, there's every reason to expect that he should be ready by now. But I agree. You know, but we'll see how long it takes him to get up and off the third pairing and into uh, uh, higher into the um, into the rotation. And CeCe's there kind of as insurance. And I think they see him as either a second or third pairing over the length of the contract. And apparently they don't mind paying. They've already had this type of defenseman on, uh, seems like four year contracts forever from, uh, you know, from uh, Nick Schultz and Andrew Ference and Mark Fain and, and uh, uh, Chris Russell, whose four year deal just expired. And now, now Cody Cece is the next uh, in that line of defense, veteran defensemen on four-year deals in the three to four million dollar range. Ferentz and <laughs> Ferentz and um, um, what was the other one? Uh, Fain? Not Fain. Um, Ferentz and who's the other thirty-year-old? Oh, Nick Schultz. Schultz. Nick Schultz. They were kind of past their best before dates when they got here. Yep. And the good thing about CC is he's only 27, right? So yes. he is in the Fane cat. He's he's right. He's Mark. He's the new Mark Fane. Now the old Mark Fane was a terrible signing and didn't work out at all. Uh-huh. Now, so it's not. It's a that's not that's an easy barrier to to be better right. than. So I'm hoping it, I'm hoping that's the case. Now Nikitin Nikita Keaton was only on a two-year 4.5 million dollar deal, but that was also just terrible. Uh-huh. So I just hope Bruce they finally, finally got it right, and I have my doubts that they did. And I got good news for you, David. Um, Cody Cece will be wearing Mark Fain's old number five. <laughs> there you go. There you so go. you'll just be able to banish those those comparisons right away. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll see. I mean, Bruce, in terms of the budget, I mean, I do, I do think it's fair to suggest like. You know, the money they spent on CC or the money they spent on extra on Duncan Keith could have been used on a goalie. I mean, it's not it's not like they have so much designated right. for and and if they hadn't gone, they could have said, hey, we're just going to trust in Dmitry Samarukov right. this year and Bouchard. But that would have been putting a lot of faith in two younger players with Tyson Berry as the other option. And and maybe CC will be kind of like the Chris Russell of this current team. In that he will be a, a player that can definitely hold his own on the bottom pairing, and if you need to move him up, that might work too for stretches of time. I think Chris Russell, the signing was he was that was a good contract. I would say that contract, even the the four year deal, worked out for the Oilers in the end. They got good value out of him, pretty much uh, every year. A little less so in the the final year, but I, if CC can do what Russell did, then that that works for me, and I hope that's the case. Bruce, let's move on to Brendan Perlini's signing. Mm-hmm. What do you make of, what's your take on that? Well, he's kind of interesting. You know, he was a first-round draft pick, 12th overall. So he's got high draft pedigree back in 2014 uh, by Arizona. 
And he came into the league quickly, like in his in his sort of the year he turned pro, he was in the NHL. He played uh, 57 games, got 14 goals in his first year, 17 in his second, 14 in his third. I mean, that's a guy who can put the puck in the net. That's you know 15 15 goals a season. Yeah. And then then he got traded from uh, from Arizona to Chicago during the 18-19 season, and. He scored goals in Chicago, but he leaked goals against. In fact, he's done that throughout his career. And then in 2019-20, he wound up in Detroit, where he played basically half the season, 39 games. He got one goal, three assists, minus 18. I mean, that's a pretty terrible set of boxcar stats. And then he found himself right out of the league and into the Swiss League. And he played... Uh, overseas with uh, Ambry Piotta of the Swiss League this year, and he got nine goals, seven assists in 21 games. So good, not great. Minus 17 in the Swiss League, by the way. So, I, I mean, I, I, I know plus minus doesn't tell the whole story, uh, but it does tell a story of whether a guy is an outscorer or an outscoree. And uh, Brendan Perlini's history with bad teams, and I couldn't tell you a whole lot about Ambry Piata, but I can tell you about Arizona, Chicago, and Detroit over the last five years, and those are all pretty, pretty weak teams. So presumably that has a lot to do with it. But he's a scorer, and it doesn't seem to, like he's not a hitter. He's not a you know he's not a defensive player. He's uh, and his ice time gradually diminished over his time in the NHL. So I mean we'll see. It's one year, seven hundred fifty thousand NHL minimum contract. I guess it doesn't hurt to to give him a shot. But, you know, if he comes into camp and they choose him over uh, Tyler Benson, they better be right. Bruce, I actually love this signing. I love mm-hmm. these kinds Thanks. of signings. I think that they're... What could go wrong? Nothing. You're, the only thing you're giving up is a contract spot right. and opportunity cost. Like, whatever right. opportunity he gets could go to someone else. So there's right. that. But sometimes they work out. Josh Archibald yeah. came in on a contract like this. And he's mm-hmm. worked out, for instance. And there's no hit against the salary cap, sending him to the minors. If you get a run of injury, injuries, you have a, a player who's played in the NHL. You know, his first year in the NHL, If his, what, what strikes me is his first year in the AHL. He played 17 games in his, as a 20-year-old in the AHL, and he got 14 goals. So, so someone coming out of major junior, that just screams, oh, top-line NHL talent, or top six, right? So the, in his first year in the NHL, he's looking like a top six NHL talent. Mm-hmm. And then it just doesn't get better. It gets worse. It just, yeah. he just never takes off. So it strikes me, I don't know anything about him, just looking at the numbers, this strikes me as a player who didn't work hard enough uh, in terms of um, getting in shape, be preparing for the NHL, um, competing at the NHL level. Like, the, the you know, the, ta- the talent looks like it's there based on those early numbers. It looks like this mm-hmm. guy's got the gift of scoring. But it doesn't look like he had the gift of consistency and hanging in there and figuring that out. Now, has he done that at 25? Maybe, probably not. But maybe he, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe he's ready to turn a page in, in his NHL career. He, he is a big guy. Sometimes it takes a, a, a bit longer, 6'3", 215, 220. Sometimes it takes a little longer for these big guys to figure it out and get their feet moving and their body right. Um, maybe he's gonna come in and be Dustin Cutter for the Oilers. So probably not, right? Probably not. But there's that chance. So I just think um, I like Tyler Benson. I mm-hmm. think Tyler Benson, Cooper Moroni really deserve a shot this year. But so does Brandon Perlini, you know. And um, whatever is good for the Oilers, and I think this move is good for the Oilers. So I, I completely favor it. And you know, come in here, Tyler Benson, and uh, show that you you've improved your skating and you're you're good to go. And you're going to hit like crazy. You're going to do whatever it takes. To make the NHL and beat out a Brendan Perlini with the same attitude. That's what the owners could use that kind of competition. So um, that's how I see it. Yeah, 2016 17, he started with Tucson Roadrunners and uh, he got, as you say, 17 games, 14 goals, and they called him up in early December. Yeah. So he only played the last four months of that season. He got 14 more goals in the NHL. So he and he looked promising. I remember him looking good in some games with Arizona back when, and then he just gradually became less impactful. And you know, I mean, 
if you look at Devin Shore's career curve, it's kind of the same. He started as a scorer and then he gradually went down. And I mean, if you drew the same conclusion, well, he, you know, he didn't work out hard enough. Well, I don't think that's true about Devin Shore because he's in Gary Roberts' boot camp. I mean, there's no explaining. Maybe he had an injury. Maybe, you know, uh, hard to say what uh, what happened. Yeah, but no they're more, giving yeah. him the last chance Texaco shot at a roster spot but in the meantime if you're tyler benson after three years of working your way through the minors now you've got devon shore and brendan pervini ahead of you or on the depth chart with you it's push for sure so i would like to see that kid get a get a shot but uh, i guess they're all kids and they all want their shots exactly they do and um there is something you know we have an attachment to players who came up through the organization and I think there's something to be said for really giving those players a shot. Mm-hmm. And I think Benson got screwed by COVID this year, Bruce. I think yeah, he would he have did. got that shot this year. Probably. He would have got five, ten games uh, with the Oilers this year, but he couldn't get called up. <laughs> so it's really unfortunate. It's one of the unfortunate, you know, collateral damage of the COVID lockdown situation. It's hammered mm-hmm. all kinds of people, some even far more significantly than that, let's let's face it. so, But it, it did hammer him. It, it, it's held him back, probably held Marody back. They probably would have both got chances. And I, I, I do hope that, that the Oilers, before moving on from that player, from Benson, that they give him a shot and he gets some NHL games. Um, we'll see what happens. They also signed Stuart Skinner, Bruce, the goalie, to a two-year deal. What is it, 850000 a year, I believe? Seven fifty, I believe Seven fifty. It so it's, it's interesting... If the orders were now to go out and bring in a young starter, like let's say it's, they had traded, signed Dreger or traded for him or something, you know, that would block Stuart Skinner's path to the NHL um, significantly, but not, not completely because Mike Smith's only around for, you know, he's not around forever. So they could bring in a young goalie and then Stuart Skinner could, could, could compete with that. Anyway, Stuart Skinner finally had a really good year as a pro. He was one of the best goalies in the AHL last year. Uh, he's a big goalie. He's got one more year where he can, doesn't have to clear waivers. He can go to the HL, have a full season. I just hope he really crushes it again. There's going to be competition down there with Julia Conovala yep. and Olivier Rodrigue. So he's not. He doesn't have a free path even there. But this is this is pro hockey. It's a very steep pyramid to climb. Um, and uh, I like this. I like obviously like that signing. He's love the fact that the orders are developing their own goalie and he's really become a promising player now two-year deal seven hundred fifty thousand each year so nhl minimum and they're both they're two-way contracts both years uh minor salary a hundred thousand the first year two hundred thousand the second year so at least they're starting to pay him in the minors the second year i was a little bit surprised that the second year wasn't a one-way because at that point he has to uh you know his waiver exemption runs out um, oh yeah, yeah, but they, yeah. So, but anyway, they got him. You know, I think a, a club-friendly contract, uh, where you know he, he. I mean, obviously, he has to make a step forward to make it to the NHL, and they're they're so they're not making any guarantees of uh, of one-way deals. They're just uh, um, you know investing two years in the guy, and who knows, the second year he you know he could have be on waivers and go somewhere else, but. Uh, uh, this this is a no risk contract. Like this is you know you want to keep your internal developing players and and hopefully turn the odd one out into being an actual NHLer, which has been a weakness with this club for too long. Well, Bruce, it would be fantastic if somehow Smith and Koskinen can get it done this year. And the Oilers don't like either move Koskinen without too much of a poison pill. The Oilers have had enough little poison pills; they're starting to add up. So just if they could sur- somehow survive this year, if Mike Smith is the same as he was last year, which was fantastic, and then Skinner and Conovalo start coming up because the Oilers could use some cheap contracts in these next few years. They're going to absolutely need to have them. So to have, let's say, Smith and Skinner the year after that, and a Skinner who's Who's making the move, right? Who's, you know, after four or five years, four years in the AHL is like he's he's going for it, and he's going to be the next starting goalie. That would be the ideal situation for the Edmonton Oilers. Let's move on to the prospect. You have a final thought there. Well, yeah, I was going to say that Oilers 
the last time they drafted and developed a goalie that became an NHL goalie was Devin Dubnik. And the previous time that they did it was Grant Fuhrer. You know, I mean, and they didn't even develop Grant Fuhrer. Well, they didn't develop at him. the they NHL. Them right in the NHL. Andy yeah. Moog, he spent some time in the in they the don't. NHL. Grant did spend a part of one season down there, but uh, uh, Dubnik was the one that sort of was a little bit more of a of a long haul to work his way up because he was competing with uh, uh, Jeff Delorier at that time, and okay. Delorier was ahead of him on the on the uh, you know he was a couple of years ahead of him on the on the. Uh, pecking order, so he got the first shot, and then, uh, anyways, he uh, Dubnik finally made it, and he had some good years in Edmonton. One bad year, gone, and he had a few more good years with uh, Minnesota Wild. So it'd be nice to have one, an internally developed goalie, and it's something the Oilers have strived for, but uh, they just have not done well at it. So Bruce, we've started our Cult of Hockey prospect rankings, mm-hmm. and. Uh, this year it was yourself, me, Kurt Levins, and Jim Matheson of the Edmonton Journal, uh, all voting on the prospects, and we have our list, um, which we're going to be writing about in the next month. And you wrote an initial post, and here's what I would say about this list this year is I, I think it's probably the most knowledge that we, you and I, have ever had about these players because we actually got to see highlight. We watched their games, a lot of their games of the top, at least the top twenty guys. Um, that we have ranked, um, we we saw them play. So we have a, you know, we we at least know what style of play player they are. Um, I don't think we had a we saw enough games to have a really super solid take on their on their ability. But you know, we have we we can go by what other people are saying by their numbers, by their usage, and also by seeing them. Some of them in you know as many as ten games. Some of them, uh, fifteen games some of the top guys this past year. Now, we didn't see the players who were just drafted by the Oilers, and that includes Luca Munzenberger, who is 21 on our on our list. And, mm-hmm. and uh, he, if we had seen him, maybe we'd have him higher. Uh, there's a, you know, one of the people we talked to on Twitter, Joseph, uh, Oilers fan who uh, lives in the Okanagan. He's watched uh, five or six games, I think, of Munzenberger and is really high on the player. He, he just sees this guy as... Really good stick, good size, good mobility, uh, excellent potential to be a top four demon in the NHL. So we have him at 21, but he he could be, you know, we don't know. He could be better than that um, right now. He could be higher on the list. But we tend to, I tend to go, one of the dividing lines for me is if the Oilers organization feels enough to give a player an AHL contract, that usually bumps that player up mm-hmm. a few notches. Um, in my books. So that's why, for instance, we have like Phil Kemp at number 20 over Munzenberger. Kemp's developed in the U.S. college hockey, I think for three years, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, was, maybe it was at four, but it was three, so three big, years. Three years. And then he went to play for the Swedish team in the second division. Um, mm-hmm. And then he went to the AHL. And yeah. we saw him play both. I saw him in Sweden. Can't recall if I saw him in the I think I saw him in the AHL as well. Mm-hmm. So we have a we have a sense of him, but most of all, like he's he's ahead of Munzenberger right now, because Munzenberger wasn't a top pick; he was fourth, like fourth round pick, third round pick, third number round ninety pick. overall. Yeah, so he's he's obviously a decent prospect, mm-hmm. but Kemp, he's got a pro contract, so. Yeah, he does, and and basically, I mean, we 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 uh, counted thirty five contract or uh, thirty five prospects by our our uh, threshold. And I covered the bottom 15 and one swell hoop in, in a post. Uh, and they're all really, um, uh, almost all of them are draft and follows. It's fifth, sixth, seventh round draft picks. Many of them, I think 10 out of the 15 were European. Uh, and most of them are still over there uh, in Europe. You know, all the Patrick Sikkenens of the, of the world. Uh, and it's hard to get a real good grasp of those guys. Um, from that distance, other than, you know, the Oilers in most cases have a few years to decide, let the guy develop and see what happens. And at some point they might have to offer him a contract. And if he's in Europe, it's uh, it's up to four years after they draft him. If he's in college, it's up to five years after they draft him. And they've been drafting a lot from those places and not so much from the Canadian Hockey League uh, in recent years. So 
in past years, uh, I've gone frequently to the Oilers summer development camp. It's usually a week or so after yeah. the draft. And they don't quite get all the guys in, but they get most of them. And you got to look at, uh, you know, not just the new draft choices, but some guys that return two or three times over the years. You can monitor their development a little bit and see how they stack up against one another, who stands out within that group and so on. And, of course, that camp has been cancelled now two years in a row. So, uh, as you know, for rankings, I personally feel I'm flying blind a little bit, and especially when it comes to those bottom guys. Like in the past, I would write the post like that, and I would have some personal observations while I saw this guy at camp, and he can really skate or, you know, whatever. And he played in the World Junior, and he caught my eye, but, you know, I can't say as I was focusing on him, you know, that... The Germans did well. They, you know, they came back from the COVID scare and uh, won a couple games and got their way into the uh, into the playoff round and you know pulled a couple upsets to get there. But uh, and and he was one of the guys that impressed people. Um, but his uh, forte apparently is he's something of a vacuum cleaner of a defenseman that he he sort of erases opponents, and that's something even a development camp. I'm not sure you really see that that kind of player uh, until you get into it. I mean, Phil Kemp, that's largely what he's celebrated for as well. I mean, he played in the World Junior. In fact, he was a captain of the American, powerful American team. Very surprising for such a low round draft choice. So, um, but he's um, uh, he's a player that the Oilers uh, Oilers got in the seventh round at the very end of the draft in uh, 2017, and he went on to play uh, three years at Yale University, and he was all set up to be captain in his final year at Yale, and they canceled the whole season in the Ivy League. So he went to Vasby in the, in, uh, uh, the second division Swedish league, Hockey Svenskan, and he was on uh, Raphael Lavoie's team. And he's, he had okay. He did okay over there. Uh, they were a bad team, and they got, they got, they got stomped pretty good. But he... Uh, uh, he scored a little bit, and uh, you know he got some games in at least, which was important. And this was guys in the top 20. I think something like 15 of the 20 were planted in Europe at the beginning part of the season, and I think that was one area where the Oilers succeeded brilliantly in finding placements for their players. Yeah. And I understand that that was uh, the Oilers themselves took the initiative to say we want, you know, they contacted the agent saying we're going to look for opportunities for you for your player if he's interested in going over to Europe and many of them responded and Kemp was one of those guys and he got that time and he played right to the end of the season like Lavoie and then when the season in Sweden ended they came over and finished out the campaign in uh, in Bakersfield and he, you know, he's He's not. A, he's more a defensive player than a scorer, but he got a couple of games in in the playoffs. He even got a goal in the in the uh, championship game, as it turned out. I understand you watched that game. I, I did. I was yeah, I out. Think I'm, rem- I'm just remembering that goal. I think bit of a bit of an outside. Uh, yeah, that's that's my traffic. recollection. So he played 46 games in Albers. Like that's better than zero <laughs> games. Like so I, I don't know if many some prospects. Fourth. Drafted prospects played zero games, but it's certainly a possibility if you're in the oh, Ivy League. Sure. So that's the OHL. Yeah, the OHL. So, you know, that's great. And so so the interesting thing about Kempe is he's a great big guy. He's he's heralded as a defensive defenseman. Um, th- the one critique I would have of him that, that surprised me when I saw him, when I've seen him play, is he's not as physical as I thought he would be. I thought he would be a bit more of, the, you know, you know, the big Bobby Clobber. And he's mm-hmm. not really that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he needs to be if he's right. going to become an NHL player. I would suggest that's probably the case. I mean, he's got a. All NHL players have to really be able to move the puck. I was kind of impressed with his puck moving. He he can make a pass, and so he's got to keep up working on all of that. But he, I think he will, if he's going to make an impression, and get people's attention. There's a lot of competition. He's you know wow. he's he's in there behind Samarukov, a lefty who can play the right side. Kesselring, Mike Kesselring, who's a great big guy, bigger than Kemp, and I think younger than Kemp. And, um, you know, there's fearsome competition. I think he's going to have to raise the level of his physical play considerably. 
along with all his other skills if he's going to make it in the NHL. Yeah, well, the big weakness that I saw in, in watching him play with Basby in a, a couple games with Bakersfield is I don't think his skating is close. Okay. And that's something he's really going to have to uh, uh, really focus on to, you know, to uh, like what a lot of people talk about a, a lower end skating or and they use the word average. Well, he was definitely not average even. And uh, some of the, you know, wide speed. I mean, if you can't handle wide speed and you're a defensive defenseman, you're going to be in trouble in the uh, in the NHL level. So. There's a reason that he's ranked number 20 and not number two, and you know he's uh, uh, he's got uh, he's got some some uh, interesting qualities, and by all accounts he's a man of high character. And if he went to Yale University, chances are he's a man of high intelligence. Like he's got some some things going on. He's six three two oh nine, identical to Adam Larson. He could he could learn a few tricks from Adam Larson's. Uh, uh, a school of hard knocks that would be a uh, <laughs> that would be useful like you say uh, you got you you got to have some standout skill to move up the ladder and he, he's again a draft and follow but we're actually following him now within the Oilers system he's signed he's playing games in Bakersfield and we'll see where he takes it I just think the Oilers should should you know look at the last season of Russell or excuse me of Adam Larson Mm -hmm. and put together like an hour of him mm -hmm. defending without the puck mm -hmm. and just send that to every prospect have them watch right. the technique watch the style watch the physicality and learn from that they could all learn a ton from watching out how adam larson plays without the puck covers keeps himself between his, the attacker and the net and that's right. what i would recommend for kessel ring and camp and all these guys just go over that videotape and see what he's doing and, and think about doing it yourself um Next on the list, Bruce, is, well, we won't uh, go in order here, so I'll, I'll uh, we're going to jump around a bit here. Mm. Uh, Keep some secrets. Philip Berryland. Philip Berryland, mm. Philip Berglund. They call him Berryland in Sweden. Yep. They, they have soft G over there. Mm. He has been a prospect for a long time, drafted long. in the third round. He's a Luka Munzenberger of the 2016 draft. 91st overall, round three, yeah. 2016. And um, he's been in Sweden ever since then. He's a great big guy, 6'3", 210 pounds. Um, he's worked his way up to be the top DA man on his the teams that he plays on. He's had some power play time now and then. We saw some, I saw some games. He played with, he moved from Sheleftia to Ling Shoping. Ling Koping, Ling Shoping this year um, uh, in the SHL on a loan. Mm -hmm. And he was injured uh, some of yeah. this year. He had a, he was a minus player this year. And honestly, when I saw him play, I wasn't that impressed. I think I was seeing a player who was playing injured. He just looked a little bit static on the ice. Um, not gymnastic, not right. free-flowing. And um, he looked like he could really pass the puck and shoot the puck. So I don't think I got a good sense of him. I only saw two or three games. So, but it, he was rumored to be coming over to Bakersfield this year, and I think because of COVID, they couldn't get that together. And I and I don't know if he's coming this coming year or not. I, I'm assuming that he's supposed to be in Bakersfield this year because he's what 23, 24 now, I guess. He is uh, 24. So, and speaking of static, I'm getting some from your end, especially when you move, and we're getting some kind of. Oh, okay, I'll it from the speaker or from the mic or something. Uh, he's twenty. He's twenty-four. Like I say drafted in twenty sixteen. He's played five full years in the SHL since then, and he. Uh, the thought was they loaned. They signed him to a two-year deal just before the deadline, but they were allowed to four years after his draft day. And one of the two years, they loaned him back to Sweden. And then he was supposed to come at the end of the year while he had some kind of uh, issues with his uh, travel visa that he couldn't come and make it over to Bakersfield, which is where they would have put him. I'm not sure I get the impression this guy is anxious to, to leave home, frankly. And I, I'll be convinced when he shows up in, uh, in North America for training camp in September. Until then, I kind of... Well, we'll see where where he goes with it. 
Last year, uh, he was hurt. He missed a bunch of time. I'm pretty sure he was playing hurt at other times. Yeah. Like I saw games where he just didn't have any kind of an impact in the end for what he should have been, which is basically the team's top right shot defenseman. Uh, he was uh, he was pretty vanilla, and he had and he only scored one goal on the season, eight points. You know, after this after a, a twenty point season the year before. Now he did play fewer games, but uh, and a big time minus in Lynch Hoping. So he was uh, he had an off year, which probably uh, a lot of it can be accounted to injury. But there's still waiting for a sign of a big step forward. So. Uh, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, we thought he had really taken a step, Bruce, last mm-hmm. summer at this time. We had him ranked seventh overall because he looked right. like he was going to be like he was one of the top right shot D-man prospects in the, on the team, mm-hmm. on the organization, other than Bouchard. He looked like he was head of uh, Kessel Ring and Camp and a lot of other players. But that's no longer the case based on the year that he just had. And, and maybe there is some hesitancy to come over mm-hmm. to North America as well. Uh, Maxim Bereshkin, Bruce. Mm-hmm. What do you know about him? Well, I know he's, he, he split the season. Uh, he's in the locomotive uh, Yaroslavl organization, and he split the season between their KHL and their MHL teams, which is basically like a, a, a player splitting between NHL and AHL. The MHL is their top uh, um, um, minor league, and he did well there. He scored well. He played 25 games, 13 goals, 28 points, plus 13, uh, and and quite productive there. And in the KHL, he played 31 games. That's the good news. Like he's you know on the brink, on the cusp of the of the KHL. Uh, which is second best league in the world, according to many. 31 games, zero goals, two assists. So very little. And I, without checking, I don't know what his ice time is, but I would suggest that he probably was the 13th forward in a bunch of those games and, and uh, didn't see a ton of ice time. But the fact that he was at age, uh, uh, he, well, he's still 19. And you know he played half the season in the KHL, so that's that's pretty encouraging. And he can score, as he's shown in the uh, in the MHL, so that's pretty encouraging. But again, he's a draft and follow. We'll see where where he goes in the next one or two years. Kirill Maximov's also on our list. He's an interesting player. He he excelled in the OHL for a couple of years after he was drafted by the Oilers. He had two really big years where he scored 34 and 40 goals. Mm-hmm. For Niagara, he's also a big guy, 6'3", 192 pounds. He plays kind of physical game, and he's got a big shot. Um, he got a major down arrow, though. Um, well, he got a down arrow after his first year in Bakersfield. He only got five goals in 53 games. Maximov did. So, But that's not necessarily uh, you know, career-ending stuff, NHL dream-ending stuff. Ryan McLeod didn't have much of a better year in his first year in the NHL, and he, and he bounced back in that second year right. uh, really well this year. Now, Maximov made a different choice. He decided to sign. He was loaned to play for Seska in Moscow. Right. And he played uh, between – is the VHL higher than the MHL? Yeah, the MHL yeah I, 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 I'm about to correct myself on that. Looking yeah. at, um, at Maximov now – the MHL is the junior, so it's like the it'd be like the WHL or you know yeah. the CHL level. So that was the divide for uh, for Berezkin. Whereas um, Maximov was a little bit older. He split his time between the two pro leagues over there, 16 games with uh, CSKA Moscow, and uh, 25 games with Zvezda Moscow, a Russian word that means star, by the way. Uh, and he did. He was similar in that he scored in the in the lower level, uh, twenty five games, twelve goals, twenty seven points, plus six. And with uh, uh, CSKA, sixteen games, two goals, one assist. So he didn't score, and he, but he you know he got into some games and he he scored well uh, at one league further down. He's a, he's a little bit older, age twenty two. Um, big dude, six foot three. Shooter loves to shoot. Got a good shot. And he doesn't shoot enough, though, Bruce. Yeah, like, I, I remember wish he'd watching shoot more. The yeah. NHL, like, like if, I've heard about this good shot, mm-hmm. but 
darned if I've ever seen it for him playing hockey. I mean, I watched him quite a bit in the HL the one year, and I didn't see mm-hmm. him shoot much. Like, if he's going to shoot, shoot. Like, and again, yeah. when I watched him in, in the Russian League, I didn't see him shooting much. So maybe he's not been used on the power play enough. But, you know, I like the aspects of his game. He's a big guy who can move. And he, he's, he's, he's kind of rugged. He hits people. So this is obviously a huge year for him. It's, um, yeah. I, I'm not sure if he, how it worked with the loans, like whether that eats up a year of your entry-level contract or not. Don't know. So he's either got one or two years left on his ELC. One, okay. One. And um, so he's going to go to Bakersfield this year, I, I think. And he didn't, what surprised me is he didn't return to Bakersfield for the playoffs. I don't know what happened there. Was he not invited? Like what happened there? That didn't make sense to me either. So huge well, years. He was, he was on the KHL roster and CSKA went deep. And so he's not right. They, that what yeah. happened. Yeah. So, okay. and they so were, yeah, he might be top line in the HL this year, Bruce. Like he might be, he'll be top six for sure. Uh, I would guess, and uh, he might be top line. You know, with Benson and Marodi likely moving on, we'll see. You know, we'll see about that. They could get claimed on waivers if if they don't make the Oilers. Um, right. He's got a real chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some tough competition there with Raphael Lavoie, and uh, I don't. I think Tyler Tulio's back in junior, but uh, right. Again, here's a player that the Oilers could really, if he, if he can develop right in the next couple of years and be a cheap player at the NHL level for a few years, that could really help Edmonton in this McDavid window, as I'll start to refer to it. The five year left on Connor McDavid's contract, which was as long as the entirety, I think, of Austin Matthews' contract in Toronto. Um, uh, so the McDavid window remains longer than the Matthews window. Mm-hmm. I had that. Um, so good. Let's see what Kiro Maximov does this year. Yeah, I know our, our uh, uh, sometimes collaborator Sean Patrick Ryan, who's a, who is a prospect watcher, especially of the OHL. He's he's high on Maximov, and he posted some highlights from his goals in the in the lower league last year, uh, the VHL uh, of his goals and assists, and he can make plays. Every once in a while, he has a highlight play, and you're going, "Oh wow, that was really good." And not just shooting either, like uh, playmaking a little bit. So he's he's got some real skill. And I'm just not sure how consistent the guy is. And if he, you know, this year, it's a big time year for him to show up in Bakersfield and sort of take charge and say, uh, you know, I'm a real candidate for uh, for the big leagues. Yeah, we'll know one way or the other about Berryland and Maximov this year. Yep. You know, the, the, the draft and following is coming to an end. And it's time, mm-hmm. now is the moment where... They either uh, come alive as NHL prospects or they do not. Uh, Olivier Rodrigue Bruce is mm-hmm. uh, drafted in the second round, 62nd overall in the 2018 draft. He's a smaller goalie, 6'1", 170 pounds. He's known as a technical goalie. His father, I believe, is the goalie coach in Bakersfield, is he not? And um, he's played on the he played on the World Junior Team one year. Pretty sure about that as well. Let me just have a look here. Yeah, and um, you know, so a super solid, played a ton of hockey in the QMJHL as a junior. He was kind of a four-year starter at that level, and then he went on to Bakersfield. Um, he started the year. He was one of the players who was played overseas. He he was placed in the Austrian league, if I'm not mistaken, with Gro- it says Grozers 99ers. Right, <laughs> and he had a nine. 9- 908 save percentage in 23 games. Just great that he was playing, like on the ice through COVID. He went to Bakersfield and he didn't do well. He had an 894 save percentage in 11 games. So, you know, not, not, but again, your first year in the AHL, that's often a tough moment for players. So, don't want to make too much out of that. He's, it's interesting because they have Skinner and Konovalov in the AHL this year. And one of them is going to end up in somewhere else probably for an echl team which is fine like nhl goalies play in that league as well and i'm guessing it's going to be rodrigue um who will end up there he, yeah he had a little he had a, a slow start to the season and down, down the stretch which he he only was the backup so he was getting the Koskinen, and you know one game every two weeks kind of thing yeah uh, but he had he had some strong games uh down the stretch a shutout 
you know, and, and he let in uh, seven goals on his last hundred shots, you know, so he finished the season stronger than, uh, than he started it for sure. But he was behind Skinner, and now he's likely behind Skinner and Conavallo. So he may wind up stepping back to Wichita uh, in the ECHL in order to get ice time. But that's what he needs more than anything is ice time against Brose. He needs to play 50 games as a, as a goalie this year, 40, 50 games. And he can get that at the ECHL. And, and if, he, if he crushes it, then he, he's going to get a chance. Like he just, you know, I don't think that would be a terrible thing if he ended up there at all. So we got 34 oh. games this past year because he played 23 with Graz. Yeah. And uh, 11 more with Bakersfield. So not too bad considering he was a backup in Bakersfield. He saw quite a bit of action in Graz, 908. So. Alrighty. Well, let's leave it there, Bruce. I think we've covered a lot of ground today and uh, we're going to. Our next podcast will be on the players ranked from 10 to, uh, to 15th. So we'll uh, we'll dig into that group, that group of players. Um, some of them are a little bit closer to the NHL in that mm-hmm. group. So yeah, we'll be moving in that direction as we work our way through the prospect series for sure. So, alrighty, thanks for talking today, Bruce. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.